Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is somebody I've been really looking forward to having on the podcast, Nathan McLaughlin. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. (laughs) It's good to be here. Nathan is somebody that's been part of uh, my PowerPoint presentation when I go around and talk about how better support LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, because he is the first person that I know that came out on his mission as gay. He was gay before his mission. He'll talk about that. But in a public Facebook post, he came out broadly as gay while being a missionary. And I don't think anybody's ever done that before in the church. And with social media, that is a possibility. And Nathan felt like that was the right thing for him to do. Um, but I think this podcast, just to give you a lot idea, Nathan came home from his mission in... Uh, August 25th, so just a month and a half ago. And Georgia, Atlanta mission. Yes. Uh, Grew up in Rexburg, um, is returning now and pick up his education at the University of Utah in religious religious studies and comparative... Comparative literature. Comparative literature. And as somebody that I became acquainted with, I probably through Twitter, um, before your mission, and um, just grew to respect this good man. So I think he will talk about um, growing up, um, coming to terms with sexual orientation. He attended um, BYU-Idaho for a while. He'll talk about what he did there. And then he'll talk about his decision to serve a mission, his mission, um, coming out on his mission, probably to Companions, Mission President, and then publicly. Um, and then just a little bit about this feelings about the future. Is that okay, is framing the podcast that way? Yeah, it's perfect. Uh, I ho- I think our joint prayers, this will help you. If you're thinking about a mission and you're queer, maybe Nathan's podcast will help you make a decision in this space. If you're looking to support queer Latter-day Saints, maybe some thoughts and impressions will come into your mind. Or if you're just looking to be a better disciple of Christ and use gospel principles to help you and help you help others, I think our prayers that what Nathan shares will help you help others. So with that, I think Nathan's going to start pre-mission. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, so uh, just kind of like growing up, this just kind of will frame the conversation moving forward. But um, my family um, moved to Rexburg, Idaho. My dad took a teaching position there, and later my mom taught there too at BYU-Idaho. And it was uh, right around the time that Rick's College changed to BYU-Idaho. And so they weren't really used to transplants in Rexburg. And it's a very local community. Um, and while we were there, um, there's just kind of always a feeling um, of otherness in our ward. Um, our family didn't really like jive with a lot of uh, the people there. And um, so for a lot of my life, um, I didn't really grow up like having a lot of friends. And I would meet people and we'd be like really close. And then just like one day, they just be like, oh, yeah, we're not friends anymore. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I didn't know you could do that, right? Um, but it was just, that's how being, I guess, a little kid is. Sometimes you don't think about um, those relationships and, and things like that. And so as I was kind of growing up in this space and um, learning who I wanted to be, I guess one of the things that I'm grateful for about that, um, because there are things I could talk about that I'm not grateful for. But one of the things I'm grateful um, is that it kind of allowed me to figure out who I was and how I wanted to exist in spaces and with, and with people. Um, and also really allowed me to separate the actions of church members from the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is really helpful for me um, personally. Um, but it didn't really 
it, I mean, it wasn't all roses, right? <laughs> when I was, um, I, as I started like growing up, I started to have a lot of questions about religion. Um, it's why I'm studying it actually. Um, and it was very confused and I didn't know where to go for the answers and I would be looking for answers and feel like I needed different answers and more research. And, um, I was very young, very young. Um, but my, my family is very academically oriented and I was too. Um, and I ended up, uh, around the age of 11, just kind of feeling like there wasn't a God. I was very depressed, um, and started to become suicidal. Um, I started to wonder about what my purpose was. Um, I had a lot of ex existential anxiety. Um, and around this time, to add to everything, um, I started to be more honest with myself about my feelings for uh, boys my age, um, which was not ideal <laughs> at the time. And I was still going to church and, you know, active in my ward. Um, and you know, I would have spiritual experiences that, that would be really powerful and really good. Um, and then I just kind of keep going on with my life being like, okay, but that was just my feelings. I don't really believe in God. And, um, uh, it's just very young and very confused and a little lonely. Um, and I remember just not knowing what to do. And, um, I ended up planning out, uh, suicide, um, which is kind of wild, uh, when I was about 13. And when I was, you know, going, going to do it, um, this is kind of the start of everything. I remember I heard a voice and said, Nathan, you are a child of God and I have sent you here. I have given you an earthly home with parents kind of dear. I will lead you. I will guide you and I will walk beside you. And that kind of shifted everything for me. And that's kind of the start. Um, keep sharing your story. You're really brave. And you're very self-aware at a very young age. So I guess with that experience, really the two main things I took away was that um, I did believe in God. Um, this, that wasn't me. And there's no way to explain that. Um, and the other thing was that because of this experience, um, and this might be a lot to base it on, but because of the pronoun switch there, I really felt like um, that was Jesus Christ talking to me. Um, and so I knew, first of all, that I believed in God and that I believed in Jesus. So I wanted to figure out who this guy was <laughs> and um, became religious again um, and started reading the New Testament. And that's kind of my fun little story. And it was fun because I served in the Bible Belt and I talked to people and they'd be like, okay, so you grew up in this church and now you're here and you've never known anything else. I'm like, well, actually <laughs> it's not, not exactly true. And it was really fun to share with people that my testimony of the church actually was from my reading of the new Testament, which is not normal. Um, but as I was reading the new Testament and becoming acquainted with Jesus and, and who this Jesus is, uh, I remember feeling very safe and feeling like this was my way forward. Um, and I was, called as deacon's quorum president just like a little bit after and i felt like i know it's like such a small thing but for me it was like oh look, like god god does see me he sees my efforts and but still feeling very um different and like i didn't fit in and very broken in a lot of ways um and it would take a lot of affirmations from god uh moving forward um but that's that's kind of the 
the start of everything. And I just fell in love with religion as a concept, not just as something that was meaningful to me, but just seeing what it does to people. Became very involved with interfaith work from a very young age. I hosted some online forums and stuff, and I'm like 14, kind of an idiot a little bit, but I was like talking to, you know, adults and like <laughs> conversing about God and different beliefs and, and trying to create community and build bridges. And it was really meaningful and helpful to me, but I still had this box that I had yet to untouch um, about my sexuality. And at the time I kind of, my only exposure was um, a talk, I think from like 2008 or 2009, I'm not sure. It's from Elder Holland and he talked about this, this person um, who was on his mission um, and felt same-sex attraction. And then he went home and this is all I remember from it. It's like he went home and like he met with his bishop and they worked it out. And so I kind of thought, okay, so same-sex attraction is something you have and then you just like pray and read your scriptures and it goes away. Um, and I was doing that and it wasn't. And I felt so confused <laughs> and uh, just so lost. And, um, and I just remember praying and praying and praying um, that I'd be different, um, that I could be like the other boys in my deacon's quorum. Uh, and I felt so much like, who am I to lead these people uh, when I have this thing that um, you know I felt wasn't okay? Um, and I can't get rid of it no matter what I do. And I just remember feeling that there's this moment where uh, we're all sitting on the pew at the sacrament, like about to pass the sacrament. And I just like looked at all these boys, like I have stewardship over and just thinking, uh, you know, why can't I be like them? Why can't I be normal? And I just remember hearing a voice that said, Nathan, I made you and I make no mistakes. And that kind of solved a lot of issues for me because I know a lot of people, that's an identity crisis that goes on for many years. That was something that was resolved for me very quickly, um, which really helped. And as I started looking more into the church and the resources that the church had, um, I was also lucky enough to grow up with the Gospel Topics essay. And they have one on same-sex attraction and they talk about how uh, you can identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual. And that was like... <laughs> such a relief because having something to call it made it so much easier. Um, and so I remember I identified as bisexual at first um, because I still was holding out hope that like I was attracted to women. I was going to make it work. And there are a lot of uh, like girls I was growing up with who were interested in me. And I was like, okay, we're going to make this work. And then it never worked out. And <laughs> and I was just like, I'd be thinking more and more. I'm like, I don't, this isn't, <laughs> I, I don't think I'm bi. But I kind of held on to it for a little bit. Um, and really the breaking point, this is just kind of a funny story, but really the breaking point is that um, I was at a New Year's Eve dance and there's this girl who was really into me. Um, and I knew that because like friends had told me that she liked me and I was like, okay, this is perfect. Um, this is, we're going to dance and we're going to kiss when it's the like clock strikes midnight or whatever. And it's going to be great. Um, and I'm going to be by and it's going to work out. <laughs> and I just remember like 
we're dancing and it was it was fine. It was great. And then like <laughs> the clock is moving closer and closer. And then I just walked away and like, <laughs> there wasn't any thinking. It was just like a sixth sense, like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this. And um, that was like really the moment where I was like, okay, <laughs> we need to stop kidding ourselves. Um, be honest with ourselves. And, um, and so I started identifying more openly as gay at that point. Um, and I've been out to one friend earlier, a bisexual person in my ward who is around my age. And um, came out to him again and said, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm bi. I think I'm gay. Um, I think I just like men. He's like, okay, cool. <laughs> I was like, yeah, um, it is cool. Um, but that was, that was really it. Um, but I think once I figured that out with myself, um, I think it felt so much more like I was keeping secrets from other people, if that makes sense. And so, at the time, I went to college early. So I was at college. And I was just trying to figure out who I was. And college is a totally different experience than, you know, growing up because there's so many people. And so I really felt safe to be myself because the people who like me are going to like me and the people who don't aren't. And there's enough people that I'll find people. And so I remember I had a classmate who I was really close to and she had just got off her mission and talked about um, her desire to be an ally for LGBT people. And um, she talked about how when she was on her mission, she wondered if she was bi and she realized she wasn't, she was straight. And I was like, okay, so she's, she's a good person. And I came out to her and she was the first straight person I'd ever told. And she was very supportive and really helped me through the process. Um, and we talked a lot, um, a lot about identity and my path forward and what I felt like my place in the church was. And I talked to her about how much I wanted to come out to my family, but how that seemed so scary and out of reach. Um, cause I felt like I had been presenting this person to them, um, and trying my best to fit in the model that I felt I needed to fit into. And there's just a lot of anxiety around that not being the case, if that makes sense. And, and we talked about it and she's like, okay, when I was on my mission, we, we just put people on date and then they had to do the date. <laughs> and if we need to move it back, then we can move it back. But let's just set a goal. And we did. Um, and a few weeks before the goal, I was like, I just need to do this. And I wrote out this very long message um, just about who I was and what I felt like my path in the church was. And, uh, these two parts were very, uh, my identity were very important to me. Um, and I needed them to be aware, both of them. And I went to class and I sent, sent the message in uh, the family group chat. And then I put down my phone and I waited anxiously in class the whole time. And I was like, that was a bad idea because <laughs> I cannot focus on what my professor is saying right now. Um, but overall, they were very supportive. Um, definitely like some hiccups in terms of like understanding. Um, but that's okay. I mean, I had them when I was figuring myself out. So I feel like I can be patient with other people when they have those speed bumps. Um, but that really ended up changing my life a lot. Um, being open with my family and figuring this out. Um, and it allowed me more space to figure out who I was. And so as time kept going on, um, I just remember learning a lot about 
what it means to be gay. I always thought it was just kind of like a sex thing. Like, okay, uh, you know, marriage is like friendship and sex and I can do the marriage part and just be best friends with someone and we can work out the sex thing and it'll be fine. Um, but as I was thinking more and more, I just remember realizing as watching a video and just think about a, a very happy gay couple together. And I just like realized that there's so much more to it, that it's a desire for companionship and, and, and things that are so much bigger than either of those things, um, which made me feel a lot less broken. And it made me feel a lot more normal um, because I just had desires that most people have to just be with someone and just be myself with someone. Um, and communicating that kind of change with my family was pretty difficult. And I didn't know how, because I told them kind of this one thing with my previous understanding and then where I felt like my life would go. And I felt like I needed to amend that and be talk and say, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit more open. Um, I don't want to do that. And so, and this is kind of a recurring theme of my life and thinking, okay, I'm not going back in the closet. Then I kind of do. <laughs> and so I would be like, okay, I'm open with my family. Um, and I'll just tell them more about my identity and what it means for my life when I, you know, when it comes up. Um, but it would just end up festering. And like, I really felt like I was keeping secrets again and came out again, Thanksgiving dinner. It was very dramatic. <laughs> um, it was a whole thing. Um, but at that point, when I talked a little bit more openly about how I felt and about my relationship with the church and the gospel and kind of where I was at, um, well, I should probably back up just a little bit. Is that okay? Sure. So after I kind of reconsidered what my sexuality even was, what sexuality even is, I very confused and I was praying a lot to get answers and I wasn't really getting anything. And I felt very alone. I remember one time I was with a friend who was also out to um, a, a gay guy at BYU-Idaho. And we walked out of um, this activity we were at and we were walking and I was just telling him about my struggles with religion and with the church. And I, I talked about, you know, like I, I'm an academic in religion. I can do the theology. I can make this all work. I can figure out my place, but I just feel like I don't hear God right now. And that's really hard for me because I don't know if maybe these past experiences I have with God were just me and this isn't real. And he's very supportive and just really sat with me in that space. He didn't try to push me in any one direction, but just really validated my pain and what I was feeling. And it meant a lot to me. And as I kept going through this process and praying, I'd be so confused why I wasn't getting what I felt like was a sufficient answer. Um, and it wasn't until October general conference that year, I watched it and I was feeling very anxious about it because this is kind of the first time I felt like I was really okay with myself. And I'm like, okay, now I'm going to the space where someone might say something that makes me feel not okay with myself and I don't know what I'm doing. And I just felt so much love 
just so much love and so much affirmation. And I don't know where it came from, but it just felt so real. And the best way I can explain it is it felt like Jesus was just giving me a hug. And I felt that for like a whole month and a half, just constantly. And it just didn't go away. And it was such a powerful experience for me because in a lot of ways, it felt like the last place where I thought I would get something like that. And I realized that was exactly how my prayer needed to be answered. And so feeling okay with myself, that kind of goes to the Thanksgiving moment where I felt like I could open up and be honest and be like, this is where I'm at and I feel very good about this. And, um, and I had this Twitter going on and I'm t- tweeting things into the void and I'm getting kind of a following and I don't even know what I'm doing with my life at this point and going to school and it's just all too much. And as I'm telling my mom, kind of what I'm feeling and what I'm going through, um, she asked me very pointedly, well, Nathan, do you still want to go on a mission? So it was something I'd always talked about. And, and I answered honestly for the first time in a while about it. We hadn't really talked about it. Um, and I said, I don't know. I don't know. And she didn't push me at all. And I was very grateful for that. She was very real with me. And she just said, well, maybe we can pray and we can fast as a family and figure out if that's something you want to do. And I was super grateful for that, just to be heard and just not just to make it my decision. And we prayed and we fasted and I didn't really feel like I got an answer. And I felt like God just wanted me to do what I felt was best. And so I decided not to go on a mission. I was like, well, I already have a lot of good things going on and I can help in a lot of other ways. Um, I told my bishop I wasn't going. I told my friends I wasn't going. And then it's just like one moment in a flash, I just got the impression that I need to go on a mission. I need to go now. And it was kind of awkward talking to my bishop after telling him I wasn't going. And I'd be like, okay, actually, um, can we work on my mission papers? But put in my mission papers and it's just all very wild. And while that's happening um, at BYU-Idaho, the honor code had changed and we were celebrating. We were really happy. Um, I was very active in the LGBT community at BYU-Idaho. And a lot of my friends were just like, felt so relieved and they were coming out and they were telling people and they felt safe. And then they felt like that had been taken from them in a lot of ways. And I just felt kind of frustrated about it and just kind of sad, kind of like, okay, well, if this was, if this was always the thing, then why do we have this whole like rubber band moment? Why couldn't we have just, you know, kept the claws in and for anyone that doesn't know what I'm talking about, uh, they removed the homosexual behavior clause from the honor code, but then they kind of reinforced that that was still expected. Um, and so um, I organized kind of a demonstration and it wasn't really for anything in particular. And that's something a lot of people, I think kind of, because I definitely wanted it to change back. Um, I, I wanted just to let gay students date um, what they're comfortable with and just people just live and live their life. But it was very much for anyone that just wanted to acknowledge that queer students were on campus and that they didn't feel safe and that they needed to feel safe. And it ended up being just such a spiritual experience 
of just people coming together in love and just celebrating and just mourning and having joy and just all the emotions you can have and just feeling so affirmed in everything we were feeling. And it was just kind of this really weird juxtaposition that I was in where I'm, you know, on one hand, I'm protesting BYU-Idaho's policy um, or the church education system's policy. And on the other hand, I'm putting my mission papers to serve for the church. And I just felt really good about myself, actually. <laughs> like for the first time, I, I used to feel these two things were so separate. And for the first time, I really felt okay with how I was living my life. And I felt like these two things went together and it's hard to explain how, but I just really felt like this was my ministry and right now and my mission would be my ministry in the future and they both work out. And as I'm doing the protests, I was getting death threats and things that come with online, you know, uh, platforms. And I was kind of standing in the back, kind of sitting there, kind of trying not to be the face of everything. Um, it's like, I started this thing and then I was like, I'll just stay in the back. I'm good. Um, but I remember a newspaper reporter asked for my name. And at that point, I'd only given my first name to newspaper reporters. And they said, um, we can't do just a first name. We have to do your full name. And if you, we don't do your full name, then that's okay. We'll just interview someone else. And I was like, oh, that's fine. Uh, I don't really need the attention. But as I thought about it more... I just kind of realized I am going right back into the closet that this whole thing is about getting rid of and making people feel safe. And I kind of walked up to her and I was like, never mind. And and I told her my full name. She used my interview and it was so scary. <laughs> it was so scary. Um, but not a lot of people read that newspaper. It's like a local newspaper. So, and so I don't think that many people knew. Um, and so I just kind of went on with my life and I kept, I kept living, kept preparing for a mission. Um, yeah. Do you have any questions at this point? Well, I don't have any questions. I just, you're doing, you're not meaning to do this, but you're helping listeners understand the tremendous courage it's taking to walk the road you are walking and no one's quite walked this road the way you've walked it. And I think it gives hope and perspective to others that are trying to do what you're doing and that it can be done. And I'm thinking of Elder Christofferson's talk, The Doctrine of Belonging, um, and just your creating belonging for you and others because of your courage. And it gives me hope. So, but it, that's my comment is just the tremendous courage. Um, and being honest with your story with listeners gives others the same courage. So keep sharing. Nathan. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I started my mission kind of with this attitude. I didn't want to come out of my mission, frankly. Um, I just didn't want to answer questions about what my life was looking like, where it was going. Cause I felt on my mission, I'm not really at liberty to talk completely freely about my feelings on things. And so my original plan was just to stick it out and just serve. And then I'd come out publicly after I got home and everyone would be so shocked and they'd be, oh, <laughs> but, um, I kind of had this, this idea that I'm not going back in the closet. I'm just not being open about it. 
And I'm just going to tell people on a need to know basis. Um, but I was going back in the closet. <laughs> That's the spoiler in the story. Um, but so in the MTC, I was actually pretty open um, with some of the missionaries in my district. It was all online because it's during COVID. And we, there were some cool people and we met on Zoom and I'd be like, okay. And that was actually really good and really fun. And when I started out on my mission, came out to my first companion, um, our first full day together. Wow. Um, and then it just happened to come up with some investigators um, about LGBT people in the church. And I was like, well, actually, so I, I'm, I'm a gay member of the church and wow. talked about it. I came out to an investigator. I'm not an investigator, a member. And I was like, okay. Um, and I, I was pretty, pretty open, like not exceptionally so, but like if I felt like it was relevant, um, I'd bring it up. And, but I started to notice more and more that as I was out, the longer I was out, the less I'd talk about it. And the more it would not be motivated by, you know, do I feel like the spirit is telling me to tell this person? It was very much becoming motivated by fear. I fear about what other people would think, uh, fear what other missionaries would think, fear what members would think. Um, and as I'm kind of, I'm in this space and I'm pretty okay with it. I'm not thinking about it too much. And then I got transferred, transferred to a brand new area and it was in the middle of nowhere. I was so close to the mission home in my first area. I was like 15 minutes away. And I get in this car and he puts in like the coordinates. It's like two and a half hour drive. And I was like, what? Like, yeah, we're on the edge of the mission. We're going to this really rural area. And in that area, I told no one. Um, I didn't feel safe um, in my ward. I didn't feel safe in my apartment. And I just, the plan was like, okay, we'll come out to my companion at this point. Come out at this point. And then I just, Never did. And what a lot of people don't understand too is like, I don't know, the reason I want to come out isn't so much, I don't know, it's not just like, oh yeah, I'm gay, like that's great. It's because it just, it puts you on an equal playing field where people are aware of the information. Um, so they're not saying things that are harmful or hurtful so that you can have conversations. So I didn't feel like I was keeping secrets. And so I did. I came out to my companion in my apartment um, my third week in that area. and But I was still feeling terrible. My mental health was declining. Um, I was depressed. I was very anxious. I was having panic attacks almost every morning. And I was getting to the point where I was worried that I was becoming a danger to myself and that I wouldn't be able to stay on my mission. And I really felt like a lot of it was rooted in my anxiety around people finding out. And what that would mean. And so the plan was to come out to my mission president. We had interviews that next week. And then to ask if I could come out on our missionary private group. And the day before interviews was a P-Day. It was a zone P-Day. And I was with a sister that I loved to death. And we were just such good friends. And like, I was just telling her, like, congratulating her because she was so authentic and I talked about how I wanted to be more authentic and she said I don't know I think that you're one of the most authentic people I know and I just felt like this pit in my stomach I was like she doesn't realize like how much of a secret I'm keeping and I just couldn't let it go like the rest of the day I just thought about it thought about it on our drive home 
And I just felt this prompting that I needed to come out and I just needed to do it. And when we got back to the apartment, I prayed because I wanted to make sure that that was not just my anxiety, that was the spirit. And I felt a lot of comfort. And it was like in that moment, all of my, because like before that, I'm thinking, okay, well, but the mission president might react this way. My parents might react this way. My friends, who's my home ward, I, the ward here. And it's just like when I prayed, I just, that just kind of went away. Like I just, just about coming out. Is this a good decision for me? Is this healthy for me? Is this what needs to happen? And I felt yes. And so I wrote a post. Um, you, you have it. <laughs> um, but I just talked about, framed it within a gospel context, um, made it about why I served a mission, which is to help other people. Because I believe that everyone is a child of God. Because that was the affirmation I got when I was younger. That was something I wanted to carry to other people. And I talked about how I didn't feel like I could tell that to people if I didn't believe it for myself, about myself. And so I needed to be open and own my identity and be honest about it. Um, and it just changed everything. Um, and then interviews was the next day. <laughs> so this moment where I was going to come out to my mission president and then ask if I could come out. Uh, instead, I was in this interview and I'm like, yeah, so... So I'm gay. Um, also, I came out publicly and there's, <laughs> it's getting a lot of attention. And he was just kind of, oh, oh um, I don't know what to do with that. And I was like, yeah. And we just kind of ended the interview. Um, he was very supportive. Um, I definitely think it was the first time it's ever happened where a missionary came out to him. Um, just based on his reaction. But you could just tell he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with like a public post. Um, he ended up asking me to take that down um, based on something other uh, church leaders had recommended. Um, and I, I said, I wouldn't, I couldn't do that. Um, and I explained why I explained that I felt the spirit tell me that this is something I needed to do. And that was really scary because <laughs> uh, the next words he says, he says, well, uh, we'll have to call Salt Lake and see where we're moving from here. And I thought I was going home. I, I was just so gutted. I, I just couldn't believe what was happening. And I knew the potential consequences, but it was just a lot to process. Um, and I just didn't really have anyone that, that had done anything like that. So I couldn't really reach out to people and be like, oh, what was your experience with this? I just kind of had to sit there just so used. And like, I felt like I needed to come on a mission and maybe this is why, but like, I wanted to serve the whole time. And I sat with that for about three days. Um, I just try to remember my purpose. I'm like, even if I'm just here for just a few more days, I'm going to love every single person I see and I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to serve the best mission I can, even if it's short. Um, but I got a call from my mission president. He said that the post could stay up and that they had talked about it in Salt Lake and had determined that it was within church policy, because it is. <laughs> but um, that changed the whole trajectory of my mission. Um, so much of it was about reaching out to LGBT folks and missionaries who were teaching LGBT folks 
trying to counsel and help them understand this intersection better. Um, and there's a sense as well in which like, it meant a lot for me to be open um, because I would hear things that missionaries would say when they didn't think anyone was gay in the room. And it's like, now that there's someone who's out, um, it was a lot harder for stuff like that to happen. And people were asking legitimate questions. Um, and for the most part, I got a lot of support from other missionaries. Um, got support from so many people on my mission. It was really helpful. I did get some backlash. <laughs> uh, uh, both from missionaries on my mission, people at home, but also even just like some of my uh, ex-Mormon friends. Who I love very dearly, but they were concerned about like, okay, well, you're saying that you're gay and you're in the church and like, this is really harmful. Um, and I'd be like, I don't agree. And I also don't think like, this is my story and I want to tell it how I want to tell it. And I didn't ask anyone else for permission. I didn't ask you for permission. Um, and I don't know. It just felt like the weight was lifted off my shoulders. And it just felt I didn't have the burden of having to figure out when to tell people I could just be me and people would have to deal with that. Um, I could just serve the mission the way I knew I wanted to and the way I knew I was supposed to. And it was nobody's business except for mine and God's. It was just something I could work out. Me and my companion would talk together and we'd do comp study. And that's it. I don't need input from other people. I'm just here doing my best. It's one of the best segments done on our podcast. <laughs> um, just really groundbreaking and very principle-based and very gospel-based. And I recognize this is love. All, the, all you want to do is just be you and love others. And this is not part of anything but that. And you're trying to be authentic and real and honest so that you can better be a missionary and better just be authentically you. Yeah. Will you read, and I could talk, I mean, just moved by what you did. Yeah. Will you, I've got a copy of your Facebook post. Will you read some of that for our listeners? I don't know if that's the whole post or just some of it. Sure. Um, I think it's a good amount. Um, I want to share something with you. I'm gay. I didn't choose to be this way. It is a divine and immutable attribute. I used to loathe and fight this part of myself for so long, attempting to fix what was never broken. I have come to realize after much study, pondering, and sincere prayer that this is a beautiful and created aspect of who I am, just as my other physical features. I am no more unnatural than it is no more unnatural than my blue eyes and brown hair. It's a part of who I am. I am gay and proud. I will not boast of myself, but I will boast of my God, because I know that God is a God of love, a God of diversity, a God of accommodation. I am a child of God with beauty, purpose, and divinity made with intention and resolve by heavenly parent who love me not in spite of, but exactly because of who I am. And I went on to quote from Romans 1.16, which is, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is salvation to everyone that believeth. I love the reason it was kept up is because it is consistent with your role as a missionary and with the gospel. And I love that leaders came to that conclusion. It's unusual, but it's, I think, very helpful yeah. and very brave. 
I love some of the things. Um, I love what you said is it changed the whole trajectory of my mission because you came out. Yeah. I have used your slide in my presentations and I'm one of the things listeners about a Facebook post is your own missionaries can comment on this. And yeah. this is one of the, the, your post moved me, but the comments moved me partly because, you know, I served my mission in 1980 and 82 and this would not have been possible. Yeah. What we would have said or what we maybe physically would have done to, you know, yeah. physical violence may have been a possible, not like murder, but we yeah. might have punched you. Yeah. Um, and so I know how I was taught to respond if somebody's identified as gay. Mm. And then I read some of the comments here, but I don't know if you want to talk about any of these comments or just how people respond and how you felt about any comments. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you want to talk about some, you're welcome to. Yeah. Well, I think this is your um, companion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Elder, Elder Peacock, is that right? Mm -hmm. okay. So you were out to him, but I love the air cover he gave you because it helped me to understand his love and support for you. You've been such a great example to me of how to love everyone unconditionally and reserve judgment. I cannot properly express how humbled and paradoxically proud I am to be your mission companion at this time. And then Elder Wheeler, who's in your zone, glad to have your powerful and testimony in the zone. I look forward to getting to know you more. Thanks so much for being the amazing person you are. So I just invite all of us to respond as these two missionaries did. Yeah. Your own companion. And and I think some of those missionaries recognize that this helps because you're open and authentic, as you already knew it, helps them as your combined missionary companionship in your zone to help more people feel the love of God. Right. Right. So I thought that was terrific. Yeah. And I was really humbled by a lot of the response, which was overwhelmingly positive. And like there were definitely a few things, right. um, comments on the Facebook post that I removed. Because I didn't feel like they had any place there, um, and then also, I mean, I heard some some things that people said um, in their apartments, you know, especially elders. Um, it's painful. Yeah, I mean, it's really painful for you to be brave and honest and serving a mission, and I just acknowledge the pain that you're carrying. Yeah, and the things you are hearing. Yeah, and it was, I don't. It's one of those things where. It does hurt, right? But so much of my life has been me realizing that it is so much better to be honest about who you are and regardless of the judgment you get. Because at the end of the day, that's a, that's a them problem. You know what I mean? If I'm doing my best and not hurting other people and trying to just figure things out, the only person who can judge me is God. And if someone else does, I'm just going to assume they're acting out of something in their life and out of ignorance, out of hate, out of something that they, they don't know, you know? So it does hurt, but it's also was humbling to know that I could be someone to help educate and to start conversations in the mission, um, to kind of break a taboo there. And I mean, I had a few missionaries in my mission who came out to me privately after that and talked about how I had two sisters who told me that they came out to their family because of that post. And it just meant so much to me. And to me, in a lot of ways, 
all of that outweighs any of the criticism I get or any of the judgment I get. Um, because if I'm able to just make an impact in someone's life, that's positive. If I'm able to go after the lost sheep out of the 90 and 9, and the 90 and 9 just hate me for it, that's fine. <laughs> because I, my approval comes from living a life like Jesus and not from admiration or anything like that. That's just kind of my my feelings. I love you know the you just spiritual resilience is what um, term comes to mind mind when I think about your spiritual journey, and I think about the resilience you've had to build up. If that's but part of it's just you recognize you have to have a relationship with God and Christ and you learned that at a really young age you talked pretty openly about a plan for suicide we didn't spend a lot of time there I'm so glad you mentioned that and just your path forward out of that Mm -hmm. and your continued path forward out of difficult spots seems to be the same formula (laughs) it's not everybody then telling you they love you and having no dissonance in your life it's back to your relationship with God and Christ yeah and the resilience you're developing up and a clear vision of this space is a good space for me to be in being authentic. And I'm helping, you know, I'm willing to take this a little bit because I want to, even if the 90, I love what you just said about the 99, even if that, even if 99, if I can help that one, that's what I want to do. And, and so, you know, I move because of your maturity, your resilience, um, a relationship with God and Christ that's sustainable. Yeah. Um, as people will fail you at times, leaders will continue to say right. um, unkind things. Um, friends, family may. And so, but you've kind of got, I hope we don't. <laughs> yeah. And I hope we make progress, but there'd just be uninformed things that are said. But I recognize your resilience to sort of weather that. And I hope yeah. you don't have to weather that your whole life. That'd be nice. <laughs> the other thought is, I sometimes think, you know, God is going to take you up to this big, tall mountain someday, Nathan. I think you could do it right now, but I think we all get that chance. Maybe it's our Savior, maybe it's God, and to see what you've done. But I think if he could take you up there right now, the discussions that have occurred in congregations and in investigator lives and companions that are now home because of your ministry and being open about who you are, yeah. um, there will be just hundreds and hundreds of lives that are changed. You, you are the first person that someone's going to think about in 20 years when their own kid comes out. And the tools you gave them to navigate this space because they know you. Yeah. And so what you've done is going to bless lives for generations. And I think that's where God would take you right now. I and I think that. he'd also take you to the that valley of what you've accomplished in your life, but I think he'd then take you over the ridge and look at your future and say, that's just a, a template for what you're going to do. You're 20, <laughs> but a lot of decades ahead of you for your life ministry because of your courage. And, and that will be in multiple circles. Yeah. I love this principle. You said, I'm going to write my own story. And even you've got people in the church and people that are out of the church kind of want you to do this a certain way. But, you know, that's a real theme in the church right now, listeners, is author your own story, write your own story. And I think we really need to own that, even if it causes us a little tension, like a missionary coming out the first time 
well, that's not quite what we meant, but, <laughs> you know, it's what you got, <laughs> but it's what you got. And so I think we need, I love the idea of author your own story and support people. And I do, and I do think Elder Christofferson's talk about the doctoring of belonging that's just out in our most recent conference in October is sort of, you're an example of that, your practical example of what he's inviting us to do. Yeah as Latter-day Saints, is not cause people culturally just to fit in mm-hmm. with whatever, but to really let them belong on who they really are. And you are doing that. Appreciate that. More, I'd love you to talk to, we've got about 12 minutes for it, the hour mark. I'd love to talk, any more thoughts that come in your mind that you're impressed to share, but I'd love you also to talk, if you're getting these messages all the time, okay, Nathan, I'm gay, mm-hmm. I am queer, I'm thinking about serving a mission, what advice do you have for me? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> Maybe I can answer, say something really quickly and then tie it into that good. because I, I love what you said about resilience. And I'm the type of person, I don't really think, I'm very grateful for a lot of the resources in my life. And I think I would not be where I am today if it weren't for you know queer people of generations ago and queer people now and people who are making change. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my parents or for the resources I had access to or for, you know, so there's all these things in my life. And so I don't really think, I don't think my resilience comes from myself. um, If that makes sense. I don't think I did anything special for that. Um, But I just kind of held on. And I think one of the things that really motivated me, like I said, my relationship with God comes from the, the new Testament first. And when I think about the life of Jesus, and I think about who he was, that's been a roadmap my entire life. And it's something where it's not just Jesus is like this kind of like moralistic figure in the sky. It's like, well, you don't do that. You do do this. You don't do that. He's a real person who came down and he lived a real life. And there was something really powerful about his resilience, um, his faith that regardless of the consequence, God will redeem you. And that's the power of the resurrection, I think. And so for me, if I could just really quickly, one of my favorite scriptures is Galatians 2.20. As I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and died for me. And that is my, has been my mantra for a very long time. And it's gotten me through some really tough situations. Because for me, if you're already crucified, then there's no being crucified. <laughs> I've already accepted that regardless of what people do to me, I believe that God can make something out of it. He can, if he can raise someone from the dead, he can do that. And so for me, that's really where my resilience comes from is even if, um, even if I get consequences that I'm not happy about, that I'm angry about, that I spend days wallowing in, uh, which is all, you know, valid. And I try to give myself space for that. But even in those situations, I just remember someone suffered at first and I can be his hands. And I can be someone that, that does this work. Um, and so I guess my advice to new missionaries is exactly that. You know, we think of persecution. Um, when you think of persecution as a missionary, you think of like some Bible basher on the street. And we did get those. I mean, I was in Georgia. <laughs> I got a few of those. But sometimes you don't think about the fact that missions can be hard just in and of themselves, um, especially if you're queer. Um, just with other missionaries, with mission leadership, zone conferences, sometimes people will say things and you're like, what? <laughs> there's, no, there's no way, you know? But 
if you remember why you're out there and you root that desire to serve a mission in loving your neighbor and loving God and serving Jesus Christ and becoming like him, then that isn't as bad. It doesn't go away, but it becomes easier to bear. And I would also say a mission is super personal and deciding to go on a mission is super personal. And I think when you're in that decision process, be aware of what might be hard for you. That was something I did. I did a whole catalog about things that might be hard so that, and have strategies for that. So that when those moments come up and when it is hard, you have something to fall back on um, and you know why you're there. And I also just think my strategy, I trained four missionaries on my mission and training was my favorite thing. And my strategy always as a missionary, and especially as a trainer is it is less important about what we do and how efficiently we do it. It's more important about why we're doing it. And it's more important that you figure out why you're doing it. And I think, it, you know, I mean, if it takes reaching out to friends and family, maybe when it's not like you're not supposed to, <laughs> but if that's what keeps you going and that's something that you think is good, uh, pray and rely on God and personal revelation and figure out um, how those things apply to you. You know, if you're straight and listening to this podcast, the things that Nathan's sharing scale <laughs> to all Latter-day Saints, they're very principle-based and um, apply to multiple challenges we all face. That's one of your ministry gifts, even as a trainer, is teaching those kind of principles. Um, so that was a terrific segment. It, tell our listeners, is there a requirement if you're queer to come out to your bishop and stick prisoners as part of the mission papers? Some, uh, may, some may wonder that. Yeah, no, so it's not a requirement. I mean, you can. Uh, and if you feel safe in doing so and it's something that's healthy, go for it. But yeah, nothing nothing on the mission papers has about your sexual orientation. And I never did. So. And you never came out? Uh, no, not to, my, not to my bishop or my stake president. I didn't feel the need to. So. so I think that's part of you just owning your own story. And you can listen to Nathan's story, but don't necess- I don't think Nathan's saying write the same story I written. No. That's very clear. <laughs> That'd be boring. so i think as you're navigating this i think nathan's sharing taking the principles he's sharing and write your own story with yeah you know that works best for you as part of this space Um, people often ask i'm sure now and maybe your companions asked on the mission so you've kind of you're gay and you're latter-day saint you get more questions about your future right now than if you were straight you know because everybody kind of knows what your future would be if you're straight yes do you want to talk about what's a you could either answer that question or just say, what's a good question to ask and not to ask? So you can go anywhere you want to go yeah, with that. that. That is a good question. I think l- questions that are appropriate to ask largely depend on your relationship with someone. Um, different companions that I was very close to, I was very okay with them asking, uh, you know, deep questions, intimate questions. Um, other missionaries... I didn't serve around them nearly enough to have that kind of a relationship. And also knowing the person you're asking. I'm a pretty open book. Other people aren't. <laughs> and that's okay. And so I think those are two guiding principles. Um, I don't know if I would say definitively that there are like no questions you should ask, but just always go in with sensitivity and understand that there is a power imbalance there. Um, They're being a lot more vulnerable and it's taking a lot more emotional labor on their part to share the answers to the questions you're asking. It's very, and so that is important. And then understanding, um, are you asking this question because you love them, because you want to get to know them, or because you're curious? And I would say that's really important because 
they are not a curiosity. They're not just someone that is there for you. They're a real person. And so if you go in with love, I think you can consider those emotions better. Um, in terms of my uh, teacher, and I'll just say really quickly, I mean, I had companions that I was very open with. And we talked a lot about my future, about my plans, and they were very supportive. Um, I personally, um, right now, I'm just trying to take things a day at a time. Um, I believe that that's super important. It doesn't mean I don't have plans. Um, like I do want to get married someday. Um, I am like open to dating men. Um, but I, I want to be aware of the ways that the spirit moves me because that to me is very important about the lessons I'm supposed to learn at different points in my life and about what I might need or what I might not need. Um, and so I, I'm keeping it pretty open, um, if that makes sense. But. Describe the priesthood leader you would feel most comfortable with sort of walking this road together. What, just, you know, if, if there's a priesthood leader listening saying, I want to be a safe person so Nathan continues to just, I want to be like one of Nathan's companions. Yeah, I'm his priesthood leader, but I kind of want to be able to walk with Nathan and so that he's just open with me about the realities of life. I want to be a safe person. Yeah. I think, oh, that's a good question. Um, I think no judgment. Um, and I know that there are cases in which you have to um, act in, you know, in a official manner and restrict access or, or whatever. Though, generally, though, I mean, those are, you know, that doesn't apply to a lot of people at most points in their life. Um, but I think just listen. Um, you'll never know someone's story if you don't listen. You'll never know what they're thinking if you don't listen. And when I would talk to people and they tell me, and we, we'd, we'd have these conversations, if I said something that, you know, maybe they didn't fully agree with, but they just like nodded their head and they said, thank you for sharing that. I'm going to have to think about that. I meant the world to me. I didn't need, I don't need people to agree with my life. Um, like I said, I'm walking this with God and that's really mostly what I care about. But knowing that someone cares enough to listen and that they care enough about my life experience and my thoughts and my, ex and my experiences and my relationships and whatever, that they're willing to learn from that regardless of whether or not they think it's the right thing means a ton. And, and one of the go-to examples for this for me is Jacob 7, where the last testimony of Jesus Christ is from Sherem, the Antichrist. I think about that a lot because Jacob could have done it any other way. <laughs> he could have ended with his own thing and he doesn't. I mean, he does bear his testimony, but not about Jesus. And I think there's something really powerful about using the last person you would expect to testify of Christ. And I think that's a principle I use in my everyday life. When there's someone that really bugs me and I disagree with them on so many things, and I think we're going, they have a bad vision about how the future should be or whatever. I just remember that if I'm humble enough and I listen, the Lord can use them as a revelation for me. And I think approaching all your relationships that way, but especially relationships as an ecclesiastical leader with a member in your congregation, um, I think that would change everything if you listened with the intent of receiving revelation from everyone you talk to. So. Do you have more thoughts that have come into your mind? Just I want to make sure you share everything in your <laughs> mind and heart. 
Um, I'm not sure. Um, I think I believe that the church is better when it's diverse. I think about Paul's the body of Christ. The eye cannot save the foot. I have no need of thee. And so as we're walking this road together and we're learning from one another and we have these different perspectives and different opinions and we think differently about church policy or about what is doctrine and what isn't or about what teachings are there or how we interpret scripture or whatever in any context, um, especially at the intersection of like LGBT issues, but in any context, um, we are at our strongest when we make room for diversity of opinion, diversity of experience, diversity of view. Um, because when we listen, we can hold those things up as stones, like the brother of Jared and the Lord will touch them and they will light our way in this stormy thing we call life. That's really the last thing I'd say. I know that we have heavenly parents that love us and I believe in them strongly. And I believe in their son, Jesus Christ. Um, and that's why I served a mission. That's why I do what I do. Um, that's it. It's great. Um, I reached out to Nathan. I don't reach out to every podcast guest, but I really felt multiple impressions to get Nathan on the podcast as close as I could to when he came home from his mission. I've been deeply moved. We're recording this on a Sunday. I'm deeply moved. I love the way you come back to the scriptures for many of your answers. I recognize that's who you are and part of a serving a mission. I'm thinking of you that are thinking about serving a mission that are queer. And I don't, you've got to figure this out for yourself, but there is. I've always liked things that help you become your best personal self. And it's possible that even though if you don't know your path after your mission, that you do feel enough of confidence that this will help me. And more importantly, I can help others, even if I don't know quite how being queer and LDS is going to work for me long term. I would separate those two. I wouldn't not go on a mission because you don't know how it's going to work long term. If you feel like Nathan felt, and get, this isn't me asking you to serve a mission. This is just me asking you to get personal revelation for your path and be open to it, even if you don't know your future. Are you okay with that advice generally? Yeah, I think that I think self-determination on a mission is one of the most important. So maybe Nathan's story, we don't want to use a podcast here. Nathan hasn't done this at all, but I don't want someone to send this podcast to somebody. Nathan would be mortified <laughs> if his podcast went to a queer Latter-day Saint and say, look, if Nathan can do it, you can do it. But I think no. it's appropriate to hear Nathan's story as you're writing your story. And that's a key principle of everything Nathan shared. And if I could just really quickly, I think um, I should have said this when I was talking about advice for uh, missionaries. And this goes to queer missionaries, missionaries who might not know what they believe on certain things. It's okay to say you don't know. And to have those conversations with companions, super helpful. Um, some of them might be more supportive than others. But I think just owning where you're at um, with your testimony on different things, um, really helpful. And when it's important to teach all the principles, and that's what you do, and informed consent is important. But um, just be aware of what you believe, what you can bear your testimony on, and have as many open conversations as you feel safe to with your mission president, with other companions that they're aware that they can chime in um, if they need to and so that you can be the very best missionary you can for those people and be honest and open with them. Um, so, yeah. I love that. Well, people like Nathan McLaughlin give me hope in the future of the world and the church. I recognize where he is on a spiritual journey, his understanding 
I think you've got a really good major. <laughs> I'm not in the business of giving advice for career, but I mean career. Um, but it seems like religious studies and comparative literature. So that's the other side of the mountain I want to go to is see you in on a ridge line in another 20 years <laughs> and see what you've accomplished in these 20 years now that you're um, getting on with your academic work that'll lead to your professional work. Uh, but you have a wonderful voice in our community. And on um, behalf of all of the listeners, thank you for your service, pre-mission, on your mission, now and future. And you give hope and light and perspective to all of us as Latter-day Saints in our community and our world is better with you in it, Nathan. Appreciate that. Thank you. So Richard Osler and Nathan McLaughlin signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. And we'll link to his Facebook posts in the show notes if you actually want to read it. Um, yep. <laughs> it's a public post still up there, so we'll link to it if you want to read it. Some other good posts there too. Just and a shameless plug there. There you go. We'll link to his Facebook page too. Yeah.